Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. The medical device industry is built on continuous improvement, and that's not just for devices. It means for the people building those devices. Greenlight Guru Academy is the ultimate resource to learn and grow for medical device professionals. From quick, practical lessons to comprehensive certifications, you'll learn everything you need to know to keep up with the medical device industry. Visit www.greenlight.guru forward slash academy today to start learning the skills for tomorrow. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking with Cristiano Fontana with Three Bridges. We're going to be talking a little bit about fundraising and pre-money valuation. Cristiano is a co-founder of Cross Bay Medical Inc. He has over 15 years experience in the healthcare environment. You'll be able to tell throughout the episode that I do not speak Italian, but Cristiano is very gracious in the way I pronounce his name and, and so forth. So in addition to his role at Cross Bay Medical, Cristiano serves as a partner of iStarter, one of the top European angel-led accelerators created by 100 top managers and entrepreneurs. He's also a partner of Club Deal Online, which is an equity crowdfunding portal that connects growth-ready entrepreneurs like startups and SMEs with investors. In 2018, he founded Three Bridges MNC, which is a consulting firm that provides business development advisory services for startups, distribution companies, and SMEs in the global medtech market. He was born in Milan, Italy, and uh, Cristiano studied economics, business, and later earned a master's degree in corporate management and an executive MBA and an executive in corporate finance at STA Bocconi. Cristiano has a lot of experience to share with companies who are seeking funding. I hope you're able to gain some valuable insights into, in this episode. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Welcome back today to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is Etienne Nichols, your host. Today with me is Cristiana. Uh, Cristiano Fontana. We're going to be talking about QMS and the regulatory impacts on fundraising, pre-money valuation, and market access and commercialization. I'm laughing a little bit because I've already messed up. So Cristiano has one in the bag, and uh, you know, hopefully we can get through this podcast and have a good time today. Cristiano, do you want to talk a little bit about your company? I mean, we have a you know some detail to get into about fundraising, but maybe we could talk about what you do at, at Three Bridges. Sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So just a few words about myself and my background. I'm, I'm in the medtech space since uh, more or less almost 20 years now. And background is 100% business, more on the corporate finance, uh, let's say, side of it. But then in, in professional life, I started and been working in the commercialization of medical devices for almost 15 years. Being involved in many different clinical areas, uh, all the major surgeries, uh, orthopedics, uh, OBGYN, pediatrics, also diagnostic. And uh, I would say working with uh, a big corporation as a partner, as a distributor, uh, like Medtronic, Bayer, uh, Smith & F, and so on, but also many other uh, small companies that wanted to introduce new technologies into different territories. So I really learned how to you know, introduce medical devices in different uh, health systems. And I also co-founded a startup back in 2009 in the OBG1 space called Crossbay Medical, where I'm still a board member, based in uh, California. And we have taken uh, four products through FDA and CE, so I learned a little bit the path from product development to, to regulatory and, and so on. And we uh, had three early deals uh, with uh, corporations, uh, licensing uh, for global rights. 
And then I decided to move into the consultancy uh, side of the, of, of the business, and I founded Three Bridges, uh, and where I'm CEO. And we are a consulting company helping 100% focus on uh, medtech, helping mainly early stage and so startups finding their way from product development to fundraising, regulatory and market access and initial commercialization. So we, you know, we're a small team uh, uh, of uh, professionals with different expertise. There's uh, people in the team that are more engineering product dev oriented, other that are, you know, regulatory. Uh, myself that I do, and probably we're going to talk about that a little bit also fundraising and pre-money evaluation and other that are pure marketing and, and, and sales. And, uh, you know, the team is based in US, Europe, Middle East and Singapore. So this is what we do. And we also, of course, cooperate with Greenland Guru and we are we have a partnership uh, in place. So that's also one of the reasons why I'm here tonight. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you here. And your extensive background, I think is going to be very beneficial to a lot of companies if they're uh, take advantage of maybe some of the advice that you give today. Uh, one of the questions that kind of comes to mind when I talk about, you know, pre-money valuation or or or, or the uh, uh, the the impacts on fundraising, um, we talked a little bit, or we mentioned in the beginning, QMS and regulatory impact. What does that look like to you, if, or someone coming in to evaluate a company or value a company? What are they looking for? So the they are looking first to understand, as from the entrepreneur side, let's say they ask for valuation in order to understand, uh, you know, or having some backup and, and uh, stand behind their their demand and ask when when they're looking for fundraising and and try to you know raise funds and they're they're asking for sometimes just for evidence that can yeah back up what what they would like to have as an evaluation and they also looking for understanding let's say the models that they can uh, you know use to uh, value their company and they also like to understand how much is the you know ownership that they have to leave and so it's also a matter of understanding exactly you know the, the fundraising strategy and the dilution strategy that the it's not just about the round they're facing but also you know the following rounds that probably they will have to you know uh, go through in the, the next phases yeah, so that's the first thing, but also, you know, then it turns to be many different things. It turns to be an internal exercise to really challenge their business model. And it turns to be a sort of a, a negotiational stand perspective where, you know, they would like to give less of the company to, to, the, to the investor. But many times they don't have an idea of what kind of investor they're talking to and what really their valuation or their their, their financial models that they build really can help them toward the different investor, which is very different from you know a business angel to a family office to a VC institutional investor. You, you, you have to fit, let's say, to approach the conversation to those investors in different ways. Okay, that makes sense. So early stage entrepreneur startups, I mean, there's different, like you said, there's different paths. What are some of the more common paths or, or can you describe some different things that maybe an early stage company needs to be thinking about? Regarding what the uh, valuation or yeah, re regarding the valuation. So if they're going to be approached by, uh, what's the best way for them to start looking for that fundraising? Or I don't know. The, the, yeah, there's so, so many yeah, different the, ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I understand your point. So the first thing it would be to really have a clear idea of, of the entire journey. Right. So what, what it will take from there, understanding really their business model, their their story, their narrative, what and, and have come up with you know a business plan that is reliable, 
as far as a business plan can be reliable, but at least you know that there is a consistency between the strategic view and you know the narrative and the numbers that you have been able to attach to, to, to that story. At that point, you understand also you need really a deep understanding of your business model, your market potential, your value proposition, and 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 so that you understand you know what really uh, is the potential of the project because it, from that point of view, you need to understand also the kind of ecosystem where you are. For example, it changes a lot if you are based here in Italy or in the US, and in terms of what kind of money you will have access to, and you know what kind of expectation the market will have. So all these combined can give you, a, let's say, some information to put together a sort of a fundraising strategy, which means at the end, understanding how much money supposedly you will need from now to a possible way out or exit or uh, some, some you know, yeah, exit windows and how you will ideally split that amount in, in a sort of a perfect dilution strategy. And at that point, you, you understand that when you have split all these different rounds, as, as many as you need from one to X, right? You also understand the amount of each one, which is ideal. And so at that point, you also understand, you should understand at least what kind of investor you should target as tier one, as tier two, because many times people are not succeeding in, in, uh, in um, fundraising or are delaying the time for getting their, their money because they're not targeting the right people and because you know, there is not a consistency between what their proposal is and to who are they proposing their, their, their uh, project. Yeah, that makes I don't sense. Know if I answer to 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 your question. Yeah, no, it it was kind of a yeah, it was a shotgun question. You you gave a great answer. I think you covered a lot of ground. So, but you did make me think of something. So, those inconsistencies when someone is approaching investors, how do they shore that up, or or how do they? I mean, do they just have to go through a few rounds to see where they're missing the mark, or do you do you have? There may be many times. Yeah, many times a learning process. Our value is actually that what we try to provide is is try to avoid to learn it the other way yeah. but but it, but the reality is that you know you will have a lot of no's before one yes or just you just need one yes right from investor and and people also many times that they're not they're not ready for that right they get disappointed about the negative answer but negative answer really and each time you know they're negative answers that are constructive right so my, one of my suggestions is always understanding not just taking the negative answer from an investor as this, but, you know, raise questions and, and understand if, if they found some gaps so that you can fill the, those gaps for, for the next one and, and you will be better prepared. Our, our role would be, you know, to interject that a little bit before and understand if that consistency based on our, you know, expert experience uh, is already there or there are some gaps that are clear and so that we can, you know, better prepare the story for, you know, uh, the the investors and and that's what we try to do. But still, you know, every time is different, and you know, in, in, in every investor in every moment is different. So they they can and sometimes they have, they have you know fair feedback. Some other times there's some bias in what they do. Some other times they're just out of target, but they don't say that and and they prefer to say something different as as an excuse, I would say, or not to or to avoid to to say the truth. So you have to also to be be able to identify you know that there the positive feedback that you get but yeah absolutely you those gaps typically shows up when when someone tells you and and, uh, and as in life i would say you know you have to learn from from the mistakes and and that's probably one of the key of the success for, for the organizations 
Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I can see where you're coming from. And, you know, a company is not going to necessarily want to give bad or constructive feedback. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, in life, you know, I think most people, particularly an investor sitting across from a young entrepreneur, I'm, I would guess that they want them to succeed. You know, obviously they have to turn them down if it's not going to be a fit, but why else would they be listening if they're not, you know, looking for a success, they're looking for someone they can invest in. Yeah. And also, and also the way you, you approach it, you should also be, you you have to be, uh, compelling to investors so you have also to be convinced about your story but at the same time investor many times looks at how coachable you are down the road right because nobody's perfect in that moment but many times you invest also in that in, in, you know especially as as early you get as more the team is is the core of the investment judge judgment right so if if if, if the investor understands that also the team is of course capable as the right expertise but it's also coachable you know i can also understand you know the feedback or the fact that maybe something needs to be fixed down the road but they know either how to do that or they're open to to learn or to increase the expertise in the team with new you know talent that's very important so the expectation is not to be perfect at that moment expectation is to be as good as possible to convince someone that you're the right team and technology and value proposition to invest in. Yeah. But you mentioned a lot of different areas when you, when you're kind of given an overview of your background, could you kind of talk about some of the specific challenges that medical devices face in fundraising or are there any specific challenges for them as opposed to maybe other industries? Well, I, I cannot tell you compared to other industries just because I've, I've always been in medtech. So okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a comparison, but I would say difficulties there are typically because, you know, difficulties are coming from the fact that demand is bigger than the offer, right? So someone will be successful and some some other no. And sometimes the fact you're not being successful, uh, you know, I, again, can come from many different factors. It can be... From a technology perspective, meaning, meaning technology is not as good as you 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 expect to be, or it can be from you know uh, the technology is good but it's not well protected, or you know there's not the right protection, or you just again targeted the wrong people to talk with, uh, because th- that business model does not they say get along with, for example, VC and or not in that phase and so you're just out of phasing right and and uh, and you don't you don't understand exactly why um some other time is also many times it's about team great idea good te- good technology but you know the lack of ability to execution and and that's one of the major i would say subset uh where where uh, you know difficulties come and you know no no execution means lack of results lack of results mean, mean it means you know putting doubts in, in the investor side right and again you know maybe team but not not, not just the the expertise but the uh, inability to understand that you need to grow as an organization and so people are not willing to invest in someone that is stubborn too much right yeah so, yeah there's a good part of being stubborn and there is a bad part of being stubborn <laughs> and and so you have also to be re- re- really well balanced in that um yeah those are you know the first things that comes in my mind but, i guess yeah, it really can it's kind of like you said. I mean, I guess sometimes investing, you're 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 trusting someone in, in, to a certain degree, so um, you're going to treat them like 100%. a human being. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. There's yeah. there's going to be a lot of trust in, in in especially in the again the early stage. 
because because you, you you're selling potential right and to sell potential and not results or you know you're not in that phase where you can have attraction you can have a lot of results from the clinical validation you, you're selling potential and selling potential it means that it's correlated to, to who is selling that potential so it needs to be consistent the story the number should be there you should be able to defend what number you put in the business plan and so on. You should be able to, to tell that you know how it's going to be the go-to market. You know what is going to happen there. You know that you will need a lot of people to you know get there. But but you have your direction is clear and you're also open to the flexibility because you know you can have a great plan, but it's never going to be like like you imagine, right? It's, ne- it's yeah. never going to be like the like the deck that you're presenting. Right from from if, if you're presenting the same number in a month from now you will you will already have to change it right so you have to be open I'm, I really try to I always try to be fair and suggest fairness I don't, I don't know if it's the right word uh, especially when it comes to you know uh, business plan and, and projections and I always say it's better to be open in discussion and explain all the different things that can vary and, and leverage and modify what, what is your plan because nobody can really claim at this moment that this is gonna this is what is gonna happen. Yeah. Nobody and, and the reality is that if, if we if we meet again in three, four months from now, probably is not what I told you. And 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 the only thing that you have to I think really it's important really that you show is that you have enough expertise and experience to know that it's not going to be like that but but to know how you will manage it right according to different things that can happen that, that's yeah. very important you know it's interesting as you're talking about that you're going to have to defend whatever it is you say to a certain degree um i, I would think medical device uh you know companies should be sort of used to that mentality they know they make it audited or inspected by whether it's the fda and so forth so really yeah. um defending their plan to the the investor makes sense i mean it's it's part of life i suppose yes. one thing i wanted to ask about then and maybe a little selfish on my part but you know we are representing greenlight guru from my side anyway the global medical device podcast so and for those of you who are listening who don't know what greenlight guru is it's an electronic quality management system um that allows you to uh, document your processes and procedures and uh, work through a lot of uh, automated workflows and so forth. So from your perspective, Cristiano, when you see a company that has something like that versus maybe a paper-based system, is there any difference in the minds of investors or or what is that difference? Just curious. Yeah, so I, I would say the the QMS and, and and all about the quality and slash regulatory regulatory it, it it became and is becoming more and more important, right? Because it's a crucial factor in the success of the entire project. So if you if you let's say don't put enough uh, importance to that from the beginning of the project and and, and or you are not aware about how big. Uh, is is the that kind of factor in 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 and uh, what kind of impact it will have in in, in the in your entire product? It may result in in a sort of a either huge enough in an affordable delay, or in a total failure, right? Uh, so from from an investor standpoint, definitely uh, as as when you're you know pitching, you you have to you have to show that you know about your regulatory path. You have to show that. And you, you know about what kind of reimbursement you know the the product will have once and uh, it's going to be in the market you maybe in different health systems you need also to show that you know what a qms is you have that in place already and it's really 
efficient and well managed and having something that is well structured you know that you know is tailor made but is well recognized in the market that is working and supporting you know many different companies definitely is a risk factor that will be flagged out right so that's that's the main point so it's super important yeah yeah that's a that's a great word that you used i think is is risk and eliminating that risk cuz i I assume an investor. That's the, that's one of their biggest concerns. Is what are the risks associated? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is, and and and, and QMS risk is it associated with the regulatory approval, getting that in a, in the right am, uh, amount of time, or getting that yes or no, right? Uh, is 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 about so the go to market, and then it comes back to valuation at the end. No, it's, it's exactly valuation is, is the same. It's about you know cash flow growth and risk. And risk is associated to to that. So everybody, everything is is correlated. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So there's the easy, I guess, evaluation of that risk, and just a you know, there's a delay to market. But there's also the potential. What if you get to market and your QMS had issues, and now you have a uh, you know an audit finding your reputation and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, and also the the uh, again valuation. I was saying you know risk cash flow and growth and that that would impact your growth because once you get to the market you have to spend your time trying to sell right if if you have to fix things that should have been fixed before and spend time it will be much more expensive and then it will slow down the adoption rate and your growth rate and then as i always I always try to suggest and once you get to a commercial phase you will be gauge on traction which is the worst thing that can happen to you because 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 traction is never like you you want it to right? it's never like in the excel file and and so always my suggestion is always try to push to talk about pilot commercial launch limited loans because once you claim your full commercial then traction is going to be you know criteria number one yeah so if anything that will slow down there and there's already the market that will slow down the, your your adoption because it's going to be tougher because something is you know planning projecting training also in the qms or the training of the you know the training the training training the reps training the customers and, and the accounts but then you know there's going to be pushbacks it's going to be difficulties there's going to be unforeseeable misusage or whatever it's going to happen everything I, yeah it's totally different when someone knocks on doctor's door and try to really have them using your, your, your technology. And then it's going to be the administrative side and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's already a mess. You don't have to, you don't have to make it more complicated. You have to, you know, prepare to get you prepared to that in, 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 uh, with, with a notice. Right. I love that advice about kind of phasing out your launch into the commercial strategy so that, you know, you can maybe set yourself up for success, take off bites of, uh, you know, manageable chunks, I suppose, of the market. That's what it sounds yeah. like. So this is slightly, I guess, a different direction. But uh, one of the things I noticed we had on our notes, the difference in fundraising between the US and the EU. Is that something you can speak to? Yeah, that, definitely. I mean, there are a lot of differences. Uh, they're mainly due to the differences in, in the amount of, of, of uh, liquidity that is on the market, right? So, and and. US is uh, exponential in comparison to what is uh, EU, and I'm, I'm, you know, based in Italy, and Italy is, is, you know, the niche of the EU market. So already, like, you know, France or UK are 20, 30 times the, num- the amount that are invested in every year in in in, 
early stage uh, companies from from VCs or any number of VCs. So, what what is the results coming from from uh, it? Is first of all that you know if you take the same company um, for the same technology as an for argument's sake, and and you put it in here in Milan and I don't know in the Bay Area. You know, they, they, there's going to be uh, probably for the same kind of product development, one company will raise 40, 50 millions, and the other one probably will be able to, you know, get one 10% of it, right? And but both will we get to the same point, right? And and so there's going to be much more. It's, it's also different business model in the way you know the the companies managed from from the the, the, the let's say two areas. Uh, it's more, let's say, capital expensive invest, but also because there is more liquidity. So the people, and also the, the way investor looks at are more keen on say, I need you to have a, they, they're, let's say, many times they're positive about high burn rate because it means that you're pushing, right? Here is uh, maybe, you know, try to keep it with the, you know, try to spend the right amount. And if you don't have to spend, uh, don't don't do that, right? So there are two different ways to approach us on, on their side, but also because they have less money to put in, in, in these companies. And second thing I would say is from the MA standpoint, they leverage that because because typically, you know, if you look at for valuation and value and the amount, US is typically the probably majority, uh, where it comes the majority of you know the, the value in the MA, right? So in in in, in the in the transactions. Which means that, of course, the return that investors in U- in US are, are are let's say more aggressive because they you know they know that they can get it. Uh, for a, for a European uh, investor, many times they know that at the end there's going to be uh, the 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 transaction to the US market if you know the return needs to be there, and so there's going to be probably more uh, rounds. Uh, and and the, the company needs to you know transfer uh, part of their organization in the US. So it's also a different different uh, path, and and that's also a big difference in in the way uh, investor approach. And then again, the number of businesses in the US is totally different than than here. Group of business angels is totally different than here. So the the the, the volumes are different. That that's for sure. Yeah. So just to make sure I followed, so a company like you said in the Bay Area in, in the US. Um, there might be more money available for them, but also a more aggressive um, managing of that investment. Is that, is that yeah? I would say yeah. Just to, to explain better, for sure, there 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 is there is an access to to a, a, a bigger amount of money. All right, and that's one thing. So what I was saying is that let's go back to valuation. The same company will be valued two different ways. Same company in two different areas because okay. valuation needs to take on account also where it's located and what kind of you know. Uh, access to, to to liquidity and funds the company will have, and uh, and how the offer of of uh, will will look at the company, what kind of valuation the offer will make, right? So that that's one thing. The second thing that I was saying, there's also a difference in the expectation of how the company will be managed. In US, there is a little bit more aggressive in terms of they want to see a burn rate. Right, mm. I, I'm not saying splurging or, or or wasting money. I'm not saying that, but the concept is I need to spend. I need a lot of money because I need to attract the best talent, and the best talent costs a lot. But I, I will have a, a high burn rate. But I will, you know, push the project to the next phase. In, uh, let's say faster or in a better way. Here, let's say in Europe, probably this is not as aggressive as it is in. in, in okay. So there are two 
to, to two angles of, of the same. Makes a lot of sense. So, so even if you have a high burn rate in the US, they're, uh, they're willing to accept that high burn rate, assuming you get a, a payoff sooner, possibly. Okay. So there, there's more will to. Right? Yeah. There's yeah. more will to. All right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The, the differences are, are always interesting in that regard. So I'm curious. So you being right there with the Europe, uh, e, the EUMDR, has that affected, um, you know, if a company plans to market to the EU versus the US, um, obviously we have those two different companies in two different locations, but how, how has that affected valuation and, and what are your thoughts? Hmm. I think it changed completely the game right now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know in, in the long term uh, because I hope that things will will be a little bit less uh, variable uh, here in you. I'm talking about. I'm referring to. Uh, but it completely changed the game because because before there was you know almost a uh, I would say mandatory path for for a European company saying you you get many times also for US company, you know, get the CE first because it was easier and less expensive. And then, you know, target the FDA, even though, you know, FDA is always for 80%, I would say, of the cases, the, the big target due to the fact that it's the big, you know, market for value, right? Mm -hmm. And and now things have completely changed because because MDR, you know, made um, getting approval in, in Europe much more complex is still not 100% clear. Uh, there are a lot of things that because it's new, right? So there's going to be a lot of learning process on, on from both sides, from notified body and from companies. There is the transaction phase from from MDD to MDR. There's also a little bit, you know, um, uh, confused um, or sobering at the moment. So uh, companies have many companies have changed completely their their uh, their strategy. So looking at the FDA first, if we are not talking about a PMA in particular, mm -hmm. but a class two, five ten k whatever, and and then you know uh, going to to see see afterwards. So that's definitely something that needs to be uh, you know taken account because you know valuation is also sometimes depends on the model, but sometimes it's also a, a discount of you know market and revenues projection, cash flow projection in particular, and and so you know if you target first to go to the US market, it means probably you have uh, um, uh, uh, stronger penetration or uh, higher revenues uh, mm. before. The, the, the problem that I see coming is that, yeah, you can project that, but European companies have no clue how to commercialize in the US. You know, they just know that it's a big market, they know number, they know the market potential, they know number of procedures, but when it comes down to say, okay, how are you going to do that? That's a little bit, you know, uh, yeah, playing at playing at your home, uh, your home stadium, I suppose, sort of. <laughs> exactly, it's different, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's vice versa, of course. U.S. many times, U.S. Yeah. company think about domestic in first, second, and third place, right? They, when you talk about what, what is your plan outside of U.S., they say uh, they don't have a plan, right? They say, yeah. well, we're just focused on U.S. So that's also some, something that we try to help, right? supporting them in having at least a plan and understanding, you know, what kind of potential is going to be a sort of yes in different areas, and whether it makes sense to either execute something already or just have a plan that, you know, can help them in the negotiation. For example, if they have to sit down with a strategic with the FDA approval, but you know, having a clear path plan and knowing the potential of their technology outside of US can be a good add-on in their valuation. That's that's even a great if they point. If, even if they didn't didn't execute anything, right? Execute anything. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, it's, this this is kind of going to seem like a little bit of a um, a rabbit trail, I suppose. But uh, the Q, the FDA is 
working currently on harmonizing the the current QSR, their regulation with ISO 1345. I'm sure you're familiar. They mentioned in their uh, proposed ruling, there were about 4,000 companies that were not maybe never planned to do ISO 1345 uh, or pursue the ISO 1345 certification or um, and so forth, which is interesting. Um, But I assume of that number, I assume those are often just purely US specific uh, focused companies. That being said, um, kind of what you're suggesting now is, is is maybe if they have a broader outlook or more a global outlook, uh, could could improve their valuation even. So, would, well, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that if you if you picture yourself sitting down with a strategic that wants global, it wants to, let's say take over the company or just licensing from global rights, and if you have no clue, you know what is the potential, what the regulatory path, what is the market access, you know nothing. Of course, you don't have to, you know, legs to stand, you know, on. Yeah. And and so what I, what I was saying, if you don't want to execute for any reason, but at least have done your own work, you know, may, may give you some skin, you know, in that kind of negotiation when, when you sit down. And maybe, of course, it's not going to be 60% of the valuation that you will get out of that deal. But even 10% or 50% is better to have it than not to have it yeah. compared to probably the, the effort that you made for, you know, at, at least having understand, an understanding of what, you know, technology can work outside of it. Yeah. Sounds like that kind of research would definitely pay off. That makes sense. So, so if we kind of go to a different direction. So I'm curious about impactors on the way out success. So maybe timing and broad strategic overviews. Um, if, if we talk about funding, that that makes sense, you know what you're saying. But then, what about the way out success? What are what are some different things that maybe maybe we can look at it like this? What are some pitfalls you see companies getting into that Im- negatively impact their way out success? Or do you have any thoughts on? Well, yeah, there's also on this side there are so many variables, and you know yeah. every time is if you look at the statistic clearly, you know the majority of the exit happen on a commercial phase, right? So that's statistically is not a question; it's a fact. Um, but if you talk with with and that's also if you talk with the entrepreneur and startups, I would say the 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 majority of the time they don't think that they will have their exit on a pure complete commercial phase, right? Okay. So there's all, always this this kind of contrast uh, because they say no, I'm just getting you know F, the, the the approval, probably have some post market start, and that's it. That's when I'm going to be bought. So yeah, probably it can happen. <laughs> But, but statistically speaking, less than right. So yeah, you, you need to have a plan all the way, at least ah. knowing how, how, how you how you can do that. Then you know, but it can happen also before or earlier, right? Um, so what are the factors? Uh, factors would be many, of course, uh, many. Uh, I always say that you don't know when you know the exit or someone will knock on your doors. You as you know, CEO of, of a startup as, or management team of startups need to work in a manner that in any time this will happen, you will be at the max valuation possible for that moment, right? Yeah. And, 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 uh, and that's the way you have to manage the company, right? And um, so f- factors. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, of, of course, you need to... For example, have a consistency between the where the uh, big part of the, of the value of your market potential is and the your strategy and regulatory path means that you know if there are not other conditions, if if you know that eighty percent is coming from US, 
probably you know you should look at the FDA first in any case, right? If you want to yeah. have early, if if there are not other conditions that you know leverage for others path and strategies, uh, that that's one. Secondly, is how close you are with the uh, end user. That that for me is very important because many times. Um, uh, companies are uh, have been um, funded and you know uh, product has been developed by a team of engineers and maybe some clinicians, but they have you know a lack of connections with the um, with the with the market right and and with the customers and uh, that means that you know they they cannot get maybe endorsement or the right endorsement endorsement is is very important that you know with, with the risk then it's also right moment to get in touch with the strategics which nobody knows when it is uh, definitely you know something that i always heard and also experience is that you don't have to think that you know get you get in touch with the metronic uh, on on tuesday and you will get the deal on on sunday right so it's going to be a longer relationship maybe it, 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 it's worth to start something when, even when it's early because then they will you know see you growing and you start the relationship build the trust and that's typically what it happens then of course you know there can be some some uh some some uh, how do you say when you when you fall in love in in a moment but but uh <laughs> typically what happens is that also there there's going to be a relationship because they need to they need to know you and the technology and you know even even them have to the risk they're not risk taker in general so that's another so you know you have to really think about all the stakeholders that will impact your your exit and start working on all the different aspects so you know the market the strategics clinical endorsement, putting in place, you know, the, the, the partnership for, for commercial network and all these things, you know, need to be in each moment at the right level. Again, you, you then of course, if you, if you, if you will need to get to a company that, you know, technology is sold in 40 countries with 50, 100 millions in revenues, then, you know, everybody possibly would buy you because you don't, you have the risk of everything and, and you did it in five years, right? <laughs> but, but, that's the old grade that you know and maybe your return in that moment will be max even even though you have always to count also the dilution part of it right because you may yeah. be, uh, have been diluted depends also on the fundraising right so there is also a trade-off there but uh yeah th those are you know the things that can really impact your your exit ability and then there is the, the one that you know i i, I think it probably is 40 percent of of uh of of uh, uh, all the rest, which is luck. I mean, finding yourself in the right <laughs> moment in the right time is is is, is, more, is the crucial thing. We always forget about luck. You're absolutely right. You know, no, because I know because because maybe in that moment, that strategic is looking for something in your area, right? And and maybe that, that's that's uh, one of the key. That's one yeah. of the key. You cannot you cannot control that too much. Yeah, and sometimes we forget we might increase our luck by increasing our network. So um, there's a lot of different things there. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned something there, dilution. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, maybe when they're early on, they think, oh, I don't want to dilute my funds. I don't want to dilute my ownership of the company. What, what do you have any advice there? I know it's kind of a broad spectrum, but what, what any, what are your thoughts on dilution? Yeah. For the, the first thought, thought is that, um, dilution is, dilution is just one part of the discussion here. I mean, there's the flip side. Which is valuation, right? So uh, many times I, I'm I'm facing difficulties in having yeah uh, 
entrepreneur or or management or owners, let's say shareholders, that they they don't want to get diluted. And, and I always say, well, it depends on you know how what, what how much money at which valuation how you will use that money, what valuation will be the next time. So it's a trade off. If you if you I mean, just for argument's sake, it's, it's better to have I don't know. 100% of a million or, or 10% of a billion, right? <laughs> so you cannot just speak about dilution itself. It's dilution and, and the flip side, which is valuation. So it's it's always something that you have to really to be careful. There are some risk because you, you, you every time you, you should try to get less dilution possible, but you need also to get enough money and especially, you know, have the ability to spend that money to... to um, Let's say maximize the, the the growth of the valuation of the company. If you if you are able to do that one two three four five times, you don't have to worry about being diluted because it's going to be at the end your your, your the money that is going to come in your pocket are always getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's what you what you have to really look for. Not not about you know the percentage itself, but you know the real value. Yeah, that it makes total sense when you start talking about actual numbers. You know, ten percent of this number versus one hundred percent of that. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, how do you overcome those conversations, or or just presenting that math? Does that usually get through to people? Some sometimes <laughs> I sometimes I also I also got the answer. Yeah, I prefer hundred percent of a million. Uh, okay. Control. Okay. <laughs> I say okay. Yeah, up to you. Up to you. Uh, um, I wonder if that goes yeah, back to yeah. the coaching thing that you were mentioning earlier. <laughs> Right, exactly. That, that that probably is a red red uh, sign. Let's say a red flag of, of uh, possible risk in the how coachable the team is. <laughs> um, but but um, yeah, it's, it's it's more yeah, it's more to you know take the, the discussion to a more comprehensive angle and say you know you don't have to look at the percentage itself. You have to look at the percentage embedded in all this strategy and path and and that you will have to you know undergo and if you really understand and execute well the percentage is not going to be a problem of course you, you would be better to be at the max percentage possible when someone will you know buy you out but at the end what you really want is 60 million and not 50 you don't care about the percent right you say yeah but i had 50 percent, or you said i got 60 or 100 millions instead of 90 millions right at that moment so again it's not just a percentage it's about you know everything the absolute numbers yeah versus relative yeah that makes yeah. sense so a couple of other things that i wanted to just kind of get your thoughts on so you mentioned when we were talking about negative impactors you mentioned a few things you know the strategics those conversations um making sure that everybody's happy you mentioned uh, keeping in touch with the clinic and uh, the end user. I thought that, you know, those are different levels almost, you know, I, in my mind, I think, oh, I want to please the guys with the money maybe. Um, and, and, and to your detriment, you forget about the end user, which is really um, the, the person you're trying to serve and improve their quality of life. And without that, you're not going to get anywhere anyway. Um, there are a few other things. So you also mentioned the team. And I guess one of the things I'm curious about is how do you value that team or how do you put a number on that team? Of course, you've got those resumes. This person worked so many years at J&J and so forth. But how do you convince or um, persuade and show the proof that that team truly is worth what they what, what they're look like on paper? Or is that ever a question? Yeah, I mean... So there, there are also that's for a very early stage. But you know, when when you're evaluating a company, 
super early where basically it's a pre-seed or just they're just you know the idea or or even not an ip or filed or whatever um of course team is, is a big part of the total amount right and then then it's some sometimes it's a subjective type of valuation you don't have of course you're gonna be you're gonna base on 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 your their trial record and you know how the team is uh yeah the expertise they have if they cover the different area already or if they're just you know just everyone is engineer and there's yeah. nothing else and no business enough so that you you try also not just one to to evaluate the, the person itself is itself meaning just subjectively sorry objectively each person but you know as an entire team and you know all the area that needs to be covered how much how many of those are already covered and if they realize that they're missing that because many times they even don't realize that because they don't they are so uh let's say so not aware i don't know if it's the right way to say that but they're so not aware about what it will take they they even don't know that they they will need someone that will have that kind of expertise that's a, another red flag right so that that's the way you, you the, the only way that you can do so you you you, you can say yeah there are people with a stronger record yes or no uh, they're they're very they're all committed or they're not committed many times you know there is no one that is really committed to the project still talking about a really early early phase uh but it's already a sign and 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 other times more you know value, valuing the, the team as as a group of human beings and understanding what kind of expertise they have combined but how do you how do you value that commitment i mean is it like dollars they've invested or time they're spending or uh is is more if if there is someone that is really taking the project on his uh, uh, shoulders uh, mm. yes or no uh, if they still have to look to their let's call champion right someone that you know would be the many times there there, there are projects that are funded and and let's say uh, developed by a really group of expert people right but nobody really is committed to that project they're just giving their really all good let's say um guidance for the project but they don't yeah. have anyone that you know will be the core team so they have still to build so that that's the commitment if you know I, you need also and this is also what investor at a certain point investor will will demand that right if they have to put money they would ask people to be fully employed because you know that there needs to be um people that you know wake wakes up in the morning and Eight, yeah. 10 hours they just devoted to, to that specific project but the point for me is also understanding if there is someone that is putting all of what he has in, in the project if it's going to be success or failure for him it's not going to be like one of the 10 or 15 things that he has uh, in parallel or he's not going to change his life right yeah whether he's going to be successful or not if you, if, if there is someone already there more than one that already are putting all their future in that that that's already something that gives for sure a lot more confidence if that then that is also combining with people with expertise that are sort of you know guiding you know these these other maybe younger uh part of of, of, of the founders or the, the founders team or whatever the management team that that's the right combination that you should have at the beginning then you're growing the company you, you will get full, full employed and employees and that, that's a different story that makes sense We've covered a lot of ground and uh, I, I know we've kind of gone in different directions. Do you have any uh, additional thoughts you would recommend for our listeners or advice that you'd like to like to give? 
No, I, I'm terrible in open questions. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I totally from, from from the school from the school. I, didn't, I never answered to open question. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Hey, you got to stick to your guns. Um, I appreciate yeah. the conversation. It was it was good for me. Maybe we can do this again sometime. But yeah, I appreciate it. We'll put some links in the show notes so that people know how to get a hold of you, Cristiano, and your company. And you know, I hope uh, things continue to go well, whether it's in the US or the EU, things start to make sense. And those of you who have been listening, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Improving the quality of life. I know we say it a lot here at Greenlight Grew, and I'll bet it's something you probably said at your company too. We help babies breathe at night. We give you another day to be a dad. We give you back your eyesight. Those are some of the things the medical device industry and our customers are able to say because that's what they're doing. They're improving the quality of life for these individuals. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management software designed exclusively for the medical device industry. We built our software around standards like ISO 13485 and risk-based principles to help you bring safer devices to market three times faster. We're building the tools that will make it easier for you to build yours. If you're ready to find out how to improve the quality of life, contact greenlight.guru today.